Jennifer just read to us our core value of, of worshiping God for the month. And what I would like to do, as we did it two weeks ago, is just to dig into this a little bit more and look at the underlying foundations and context of worship, okay? Um, as we just read, it's more the outward re response. It's, it's the response of the heart and the outward expression. But I want look to look at what is underlying um, <clears throat> and foundational to worship. Why do most humans on the planet have a desire to worship? Did you know that there are approximately 4,300 religions in this world? And most have a set of beliefs and practices around some supreme being that people feel the need to appease or and or worship. Now, let's look at the five most prominent religions of the world. The largest is Christianity at about 2.4 billion. And then there's Islam at about 1.8 billion. Hinduism at 1.1 billion. Buddhism at a half billion. Shintoism, 100 million. Those are the five most prominent or largest uh, religions. And they have the greatest number of followers. So the question is, what is central to all of these religions? Um, what is the common interest of all of these religions? There's an interest in knowing and relating with a supreme being that is greater than ourselves. There's this innate desire to pay homage, to honor, to ascribe worth and value to this being. There's a desire to please this supreme being. Now, understand that for some, it is out of a genuine love response. For others, it's out of fear because they feel like that they need to appease this God lest they experience retribution. So it's interesting that well over 6 billion people all have this felt desire to know, to worship a supreme being of some kind. Now, is that a surprise to us? It really shouldn't be a surprise to us when we look to the scriptures because the scriptures make so clear, and we'll not turn to these familiar passages today, but let me just paraphrase it. As the scriptures say that all people were created in the likeness and image of God. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. And then we see in the New Testament scriptures where the apostle Paul waxes eloquent on these things. And he tells us how that all people were created by Christ. And he said it's in and through Christ and by whom all things were created and are constantly sustained and held together. And so this Christ Jesus is the foundation of all life. He's the mediator of all existence, the center of the whole cosmos. And that's why Jesus himself in John chapter 8 says, I am the light of the world. 
he spoke as one. Now, while he was in human form, he was, he had his, was Christ, Jesus, Christ who always was, who came and manifested himself to humanity in this physical form. He says, I am the light of the world. And then we also have recorded in Revelation that where Christ himself said, I am the Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. And also in Revelation, it speaks of Christ who is, who was, and is to come into the future. He's eternal. Christ Jesus always was, is, and always will be. So Christ Jesus is with, in the union of Father and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so Christ Jesus, this moment, is seated in heavenly places, the right hand of the Father, and there present is Holy Spirit, and there we are in the midst. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel so secure when I come back to this scriptural truth that's so laid out plain in the Bible for us, and then I realize the implications of that. That provides safety and security, provides comfort while we're still on earth and we experience loss and we experience tragedies of different sorts and we go through so much difficulty at times in life. And other moments are just sheer delight and great joy. But all of that, and while that is going on, I am with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Wow. Apostle Paul, what revelation he caught. It's powerful. It's beautiful. It's empowering. It's encouraging. We all need encouragement. There's more than enough to go around in this world, having things to be discouraged about. And this week I had moments of just feeling disheartened, the loss of a friend, death of a friend, your pastor friend's wife, disheartening. Some of you have lost friends, and there's other types of situations and circumstances come up, and it's like, how am I going to, how do, how do we move and navigate through life? I keep coming back to this truth that I'm privileged to be surrounded by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That gives me hope. And so there we are present in spirit. And one day we too will have a glorified body just like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. More, a little more tangible. But it, nonetheless, it is a reality today. So there within the Trinity is perfect harmony. There within the Trinity is perfect peace and perfect joy. Okay? And so what do we do to move through life? I mean, we can't always, we don't always have the privileges to escape circumstances in life that cause us hurt and cause us pain. But where the place that we can always go to is this heavenly, spiritual, dynamic, and that is to be reminded that there we are in the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's good just to close our eyes for a few moments or minutes and just go, wow. 
and to use our holy imaginations. The scripture speaks so clearly about the imaginations of something that God has given us. And what we just need to do is learn to train our imaginations to focus upon that which is good, pure, and lovely. That's how we're able to move through life in the midst of pain, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of disappointment and discouragement and circumstances that sometimes are less than delightful. So all humans, though, think about this, were actually created within this circle of divine flow of life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Actually, we were created within that union. Doesn't the scripture tell us where God says, let us, picture this, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are going, looking at each other going, hey, let us, Father says, let's make man, let's make some humans and put them on that little planet we call Earth. They understand, they're looking at the whole universe. They say, ah, we got an earth thing there. That earth was without form. It was void. Had been there for who knows how long. The scriptures do not tell us. But it does tell us then about at one point then, all of a sudden creation came about. And and God says, man, let's make some humans with whom we can relate, with whom we can fellowship. And they, we want to create them within this flow of life, and we want to invite them to participate. That's what we call salvation. We want to invite them to partake of the divine nature, as Peter says so clearly in Scripture. Did you know the whole world, all seven billion, have been created within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? It's just that the majority haven't discovered that yet. That's why prayer is so important. Prayer is for the purpose of partnering with the heart of God and praying for the opening of eyes that blind us to the realities that already exist. Spiritual enlightenment, as Apostle Paul said we need to pray for, is not opening our eyes to something that doesn't exist. It's something that already exists. As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all that they provide in our divine inheritance, it's already all there. And each of us have a measure of darkness, or we would already be living in a perfected state. Anybody raising your hand, you have you you see it all? You have fullness of vision. (laughs) You have fullness of love and honor towards God. I do too. But I don't see. But little by little, I keep seeing more and more of who he is and realizing this great privilege. It's like, wow. And now my prayer is that, God, that you would open the eyes of our heart. You remember that song we used to sing? Vanji used to lead it. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the Did you ever sing that one, anybody? Come on, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, okay. <laughs> open the eyes of my heart. And our prayers are, is that God open our eyes as people of this planet. We're all at different stages. Some of us see about this much. Others of us see this much. Others see more. And for some people who are growing and maturing, they go, whoa. Apostle Paul said, we know in part. We understand in part. We see in part, Right? Ah, but we're in process 
of having opening to, uh, opening to us the glory and the majesty of Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that powerful? Worship is key in the opening of our revelation. And worship happens when we come to that place. If you worship from the perspective as God, there you are way out there. This beautiful intent in terms of the intentions of the heart. But it lacks the intimacy and the relational connectedness that is actually a present reality. And God is saying, just open your eyes. I'm with you. You're with me. I created you within this circle. Open your eyes. So this morning as I'm standing here in the front, I'm just picturing myself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I go, yes, Lord. And I turn my face towards him. It was so real. It was amazing. And he sees the responsiveness of my heart towards his majesty. And I felt strength flowing into me. Anybody else feel the strength of God flow into you this morning? As you turned your face towards him? That's something we can experience anytime, anywhere. You can experience that by a serene setting by a lake or by a a, a little babbling brook or at the base of a majestic mountain or on your patio, maybe in your bed in the quietness of the night. Imagine what is already a reality. He is with you. You are with him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And let your heart soar into heavenly realities as you express adoration and you express worship. We must remember that there is no human that is self-existent, even though some who would identify themselves as humanists or atheists see themselves as outside of God. It's not scriptural. It's not a reality because all people are created within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Christ himself holds us together intact, physically, mentally, spiritually, And there we are held, whether we realize it or not. You never want to see any other person as, well, they're out there, but God's here. It's not a biblical reality. They were created just like you were created. They're held together just like you're held together. There's no in and outside. Now, here's what amazes me, though, how that sometimes this is a reality, that we can be within this divine circle and divine union but not even realize it. Now, that's a reality in experience. And what we pray is that in our experience, we have our eyes opened, and when we see ourselves in the light of his glory, we go, oh, my Lord, as Apostle Paul did on the road to Damascus. Do you notice that blinding light? That was the glory of God. And once Paul saw himself in the light of God's glory, he says, Lord, what happened in that moment? He experienced what? 
salvation. In that moment, his heart was, his heart's attention was captured by the glory of the Lord. He began to worship. It's beautiful. Beautiful. It's amazing. That's why the Apostle Paul <coughs> made it so clear to the uh, people of Athens. He said, guys, God's not far from you. They were worshiping these objects that were made with stone. And they were icons of sorts concerning a God who was afar. That's the best they understood. Did you notice that Paul didn't condemn them for that? He didn't laugh at them. He didn't mock them. He just says, I want you to know, guys, God's not afar. Acts 17, verses, you go read that whole passage there. 27, Acts 17, about verse 18, somewhere there down through verse 29, okay? God's not far. He is near. As a matter of fact, we're all living in him and having our being. It's the perfect setup for worship. <laughs> By design, we are placed smack dab in the middle of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what we pray is, God, remove the blindness of what is already reality. And give our hearts a response, yes. I don't know how any person who sees a, 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 a great major of God's glory as did Apostle Paul who wouldn't say, Lord, I can't imagine it. I, I just can't imagine anybody. It's maybe possible. But Paul immediately, I mean instantly, Lord, the one he mocked and made fun of, Oh, this Christ, he's an imposter. He's not the, truly the Messiah. He's not Lord. But when he, beheld, when he beheld his glory, immediately it was like, Lord, and an absolute surrender. Well, a beautiful prayer that we can pray in our worship is, Lord, let me behold your glory. Some of the songs we sing express that in thought. But what a beautiful prayer every day. And the more that he reveals himself and his glory to us, we can't help but humble ourselves and cry out to him and say, yes, Lord. All of humanity has been in, included within that circle. And so my excitement is this, that is there are people around the world today they're having personal encounters with the glory of God. We get the reports back. Roger Martin, when he was here a few weeks ago, and Roger and Tammy have given their lives to reach uh, the people who are practicing Islam as a religion. And the dear Muslim people, and Roger was just sharing with me over uh, breakfast, I guess it was, we had together. And again, some of those cool reports. I don't recall if he shared it here in the pulpit or not. But, but he was sharing again how many Muslims are having personal encounters with Jesus. Because in the Quran, Jesus is honored as a wonderful teacher and prophet. But he's not understood to be God who came and revealed himself in human flesh, right? He's not understood as that. 
But all of a sudden, when Jesus shows up in the room of someone who didn't understand, and he, and he reveals himself, all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness. Yes, you are more than just a prophet and a good teacher. Yes, Lord, my Lord and my God. Well, Jesus himself, when he walked the earth, participated daily in the divine flow of life. And that's why this, the Bible talks to us about, about the Holy Spirit that was vital to his life and ministry. And it talks about how it, Jesus repeatedly had said how that I don't do anything except the Father. And he was out praying. He'd go out to the mountain to pray. What he's doing is he is there with Father and Holy Spirit. And there's a divine interaction and he's gaining wisdom and understanding because he, they move together as co-equals together. You understand? You don't want to see God, the Father, in a hierarchical, uh, a, a God in, in a hierarchical type of a, a manner. It's like God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. While each have distinct roles, okay, it's not one in authority over the other, okay? So we have revealed in the scriptures. And and theologians have got this from early on, the early church fathers, and that is pretty standard understanding all down through Christianity over the last couple thousand years. So you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus would commune with Father and Holy Spirit, and they would convene together. But there's always a deferring towards one another. And we won't take more time to look at that today, but you even see the Father having bestowed upon Jesus this mission of which he was accomplished. And then now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But even the scriptures talk about all things are now being put under his feet of authority. Okay? All things will be summed up in Christ. But there's this divine working together. So, so what is worship? Worship is just this very normal, natural response towards Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when we catch the revelation that we're seated in their midst. It's very normal to respond once our eyes are opened. And what's really fascinating to me that there's people around the world, six billion people, about three and a half or so that are not of the Christian understanding, and so their hearts are wanting to worship because they're already created within that circle. Their hearts are drawn, but the focus isn't on Christ. It's just towards some supreme being, and then they have a teaching. Well, it's Allah, it's this, it's that, it's another thing. But they're, they're wanting to worship because they're created loved ones. And then in the salvation experience, it's simply the opening the eyes of, oh, here's Christ right in front of me the whole time. And for by, by grace, they are saved through faith. And by the way, the faith factor is, isn't like, well, i got to think my way into this, and one day I got smart enough to figure it out. We'll never be smart enough to figure out God. It comes revelation. It's by the working of Holy Spirit, who's right near us all the time. Even as Jesus talked about the disciples, he said, he, he talks about <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, who's been with you guys all along. Now, at Pentecost, you're going to have an encounter of a different type, and there's going to be more of an in-depth relationship with Holy Spirit. 
But he's been with you all along. I've been with you. As a matter of fact, Jesus told the disciples, I'm already in you. John 14, 20. You just haven't caught the revelation of it yet. You're already with me and I'm in you. So this marvelous gift of salvation is about opening, having our eyes open from the blindness that we have. So even before our eyes are open, though, there's something in us that we want to worship. And then when our eyes are open to Jesus now, Jesus becomes the focal point of our worship. Isn't that really simple? It's just really, 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 really simple. And it's really, really normal and natural to, for all people to want to worship. And then once you behold Christ, it's just very normal to want to worship him, not each other, not an angel. An angel is just another created being as are humans and don't even, aren't even at the same level as the humans. Humans have a much higher level of authority than, than angels do. So we don't worship angels and we don't worship other humans. It's Christ and Christ alone. All right, John chapter 4. Verse 23, I've only got about 25 scriptures to go. No, this is the, actually the only one. Okay, chill, relax, okay. Jesus said, an hour is coming. Now, here, this is to the woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman. We talked about it two weeks ago. I'm not going to go back and reteach all of that. But he has this encounter, and Samaritans were considered as half-breeds, and they were a mixed race, if you will. They were despised and looked upon by the Jews, and the Jews looked at them and said, oh, you're a bunch of dogs. And they weren't considered to really be, <clears throat> have a whole lot of significance. Jesus is there, no condemnation even to a woman who had five husbands, and the man she's now living with isn't even a husband. But he just sees nothing but beauty in this dear lady. Because this dear lady was created and is within this full of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. She just hadn't had her eyes opened yet. So Jesus speaks to her. He says, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Okay? What is this passage all about? The Father desires relational participatory worship, not religious form. Short and simple. Relational interaction. That's our Father. That's Christ. That's Holy Spirit. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that works with us towards that end of a relational responsiveness to Father and Son. That's the role of Holy Spirit. Getting our attention, drawing our hearts towards the living Christ. Okay? So worship is not just uh, expressing value and worth to a spirit that we can't see who is God. Now, fact is, worship begins with God, and it springs from the divine life already within the Trinity. And we're drawn to God because he already received us, included us, even before we were born. Even before the foundations of the world, he knew us. Oh, my goodness. I stand in awe sometimes at the majesty of God. And so when we realize that all have been created within that divine union, then we understand why the six billion plus people are longing to worship today around the world. 
different forms, different focal points. As Christians, our focal point is upon the person of Christ Jesus. All have a built-in desire to worship. We become like that which we worship. So the more that I spend time in the presence of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and as my heart is drawn and I respond in my adoration, what it actually is, what's actually happening is, is I'm being formed to the image and likeness of Christ that Apostle Paul taught about. He talked about being conformed. In other words, being shaped to the image and likeness. So the more time that we spend beholding him, the more that we become like Christ. So if your desire to become like Christ is based upon just a creed and a list of do's and don'ts, you can develop a religious form, but true likeness of Christ will not develop. It will only be an outward form. And with that, great disappointment comes. And many people bail then in this whole relationship with God, say, oh, well, it's nothing real. That's because the focus was outward upon a certain religious form and activities to try to please God. Good, good, good people. That's why I'm so passionate about helping as many people as possible get the reality picture of that we are already within Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's saying, awaken, awaken. Get the blindness of your eyes off. And the Holy Spirit like starts peeling it back. And then we behold him and we go, oh my goodness. And so then we find ourselves wanting to worship, not feeling like we have to. So <clears throat> if you worship a tree, you'll miss the love and life of relationship with the Father. If you worship another created being, you're going to be sorely disappointed. They're going to let you down. And you say, well, come on, you're being totally kind of bizarre here. No, I'm telling you that it is possible to where we allow the affections of our heart to become so focused on another personal, another person, that actually it becomes idolatry. And then we have sore disappointment down the road at some point. Because there's no other person in this world that can meet all the needs of our heart and soul. And to even make a statement like, I could never live without this person, is not a healthy statement. I think a good statement is to say, I don't want to have to live without this person in my life. My spouse, for example. But to say I never could live or function without her, is really, really shows my immaturity. Because I wasn't, I, I, there, I, have, I have Father, I have Son, I have Holy Spirit. And so <clears throat> what we never want to do is focus so heavily upon another person that we miss um, out on the, on the flow of life. So in worship, we imagine ourselves sitting within the Trinity. He washes away, they wash, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, wash away our fears. They bring healing to the wounds of the soul. They bring transformation to our thinking. They bring healing to the physical needs of our bodies. Father has always longed for people to worship. And that's what the Bible tells us. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. 
Because here's the father. You've got to put yourself in father's shoes. Here's father, son, Holy Spirit. And father says, wow, all of those lovely seven billion people, we created them. I long for them to awaken, spiritually come alive, to be set free from darkness and the chains of evil that assail them. And I want them to experience my love. How many of you have ever, ever had, and maybe not in a setting as a father, but just as a human, to where you were really with genuine affection of your heart, wanting to, to express and show love towards another person, and they're like, eh, and you could feel the resistance? You ever feel that? I assume we all have at some point. It's disheartening. Because your heart is simply genuine. I want to honor and show love to a person. And sometimes it's not even outward. It's just something that's projecting from your heart. But they resist, okay? Imagine our Heavenly Father. See, that's His heart. He feels resistance in some cases. No, I don't want you, God. I don't want you. I'm busy living my own life. And for others... The living blindly without a responsiveness. And his heart is like, oh, dear child, I created you. I love you. You are within the circle of, of us. You're included, but you're blind. I want you to experience salvation. I want you to be set free in your experience. I want you to experience what we've already provided for you. You've, you deliverance from darkness has already happened at the cross. The defeat of the enemy has already happened. I want you to experience it. That's Father. He's seeking those to worship him. So worshiping in spirit is simply <clears throat> working, is worshiping in responsiveness to the movement of Holy Spirit as we're seated together with Christ in heavenly places. Worshiping in truth is simply a responsiveness of our heart towards Christ Jesus, our Lord. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. I have a hunch that it was no coincidence that Jesus spoke him in that order. Spirit and truth. It's always the work of the Holy Spirit to re reveal Jesus more fully. Spirit and truth. So I think it's appropriate in that context to say, more Holy Spirit, even though he's with us, he's around us, but more in the sense of our experience and the enlightenment and breaking through any measure of darkness. More Holy Spirit. That's why Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not as if though the Holy Spirit is a commodity. Remember that. The Holy Spirit is not a commodity. He's God. So that's a challenge sometimes in Scripture because we have special metaphors that can lead us to think like, oh, Holy Spirit's a commodity. Yeah, it's like a... It's like a, a pitcher that needs to be filled with water, see? But that's not what we're after here. He's talking about 
about in our, in, our, in our life, in our experience, and in our passion to experience the fullness, the full measure of Holy Spirit, which is an ongoing process. You see, Jesus, when he walked the earth, had this spirit without measure. As we are growing, we keep developing with new measures or degrees and dimensions of life and experience with Holy Spirit, who then in turn reveals Christ and our, we find ourselves in absolute place of adoration. That's what it means to worship in spirit and truth. Is that helpful? I hope so. I hope that helps us. I think that's sufficient right there. Thirty-five minutes and forty-three seconds. I got the screen back there that helps me. When the screen is not there, I get lost, get caught up in my passion. We're going to partake of communion this morning. Ushers, if you would, just go ahead and come and hound out the little cups and the wafers. I want this to be a worship encounter. Just remain in your seats this morning. Just go ahead, my dear brothers, and just go ahead down through the rows and just start handing out. We just invite each and every one of us. By the way, <clears throat> communion is not to be reserved for some elect perfected few. Participating in communion is an important part of our restoration, our healing, and our wholeness, and our health. And I want to read to you a scripture now, and I think we might have it to put up here on the screen too. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 26. Now this is the Apostle Paul who writes, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then Paul says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. I want to encourage us to do this in our communion experience. It is in communion where we find ourselves seated with Christ and Father and Holy Spirit. As Apostle Paul said in Ephesians, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places because at the resurrection he raised us up with him. And in communion it's about turning our face towards Christ and it's about feeding upon his body and blood. It's a faith response that we might receive life and strength and health. 
Keep in mind that Christ is in all people by virtue of having been created by him. Christ infused himself with all of humanity by becoming human. He wasn't just another human being of the billion at that time on the earth. No, he literally infused himself with all of humanity and thus and is only the reason that he could absorb the sin of all humanity in his death upon the cross. And on the cross, the scriptures make so clear in several places how it was on the cross where he reconciled, canceled out the debt, reconciled all humans unto himself. And the scripture makes so clear he's not counting the sin of any one of us against us. Not even against any person. Even the individuals who do not yet see and the individuals who have not yet experienced salvation, he doesn't hold the sin against them. Christ, when he died, the scriptures tell us, the apostle Paul teaches this, we all died and therefore dead to sin. When we don't know that we're dead to sin, we just keep on sinning. Living a life into ourselves. And then when we catch the revelation of Jesus Christ and we begin to experience his salvation, now we identify with that which has already been a reality and that is that when he died, we died. And here's the good news. When he rose... He raised us up with him as Apostle Paul teaches so explicitly in Scripture. So here we are in this circle, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Christ says, I want to invite you to partake of my life by grace through faith. That's what communion is all about, is partaking of life eternal. By grace through faith. Remember, communion is not just symbolic. It's not scriptural. If you just treat it as a symbol, we're missing something powerful. There is something that through, by God's grace through faith, once you imagine yourself, Christ the Son, Father, and Holy Spirit, you're going to partake of the very life and the essence of Christ himself in whom we have salvation, deliverance, healing, wholeness, preservation. We have eternal life. Imagine yourself with him today. Imagine yourself having experienced the lifting of sin through the work of Christ at the cross. Imagine yourself in this reality that he's raised you up with him and now you're seated with him in heavenly places. Let's take off that first little layer of plastic and get to that wafer. This represents his body. Jesus said, if you'll eat of me, you'll have life. So let's lift up the wafer together and we give thanks 
to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that in the laying down of your life, you made it possible for us to have life. And while it's somewhat of a mystery, we can't get our heads around it, you said, partake and eat of me. So by grace through faith, we partake of your body and your life now in the name of Jesus. you to imagine right now and by faith just say I receive the flow of your life into my entire being may the life of Christ by the Holy Spirit flood over your entire being spirit soul and body and may you experience Jesus the fullness of our salvation. Bring healing to our hearts, to the wounds, to the soul. We receive healing within our physical bodies. And we ask that you would transform our thinking that we might be more fully conformed to your likeness and that we may experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit to every dimension. And now, Lord, we hold this cup, grape juice here that represents your blood. And we recognize that your blood, shed blood, was about the inauguration of the new covenant. And we thank you for new covenant realities because within new covenant realities, there's this exchange of our weakness for your strength. There's an exchange of death for your resurrection life. And we thank you that you provided this on the cross and through the shedding of your own blood. And now, because of new covenant realities, and we are in this covenant with you, all that we are is yours, and all that you are is ours. And you are our divine inheritance. And we thank you for this great privilege, and we worship you, Jesus. And let's partake. Just keep our eyes closed. Just extend our hands and just take a moment to worship him out of the depths of your heart. Thank you for giving us a pure heart. Transform mind. Life and strength and physical health we receive in and through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And everyone said, amen.
ushers, go ahead and come by and just drop your cups in the basket. Just, just, just meditate on these things for a minute while they're collecting the cups. just sensing this amazing presence of God settling in over me and over us as a gathering. The amazing presence of Christ Jesus our Lord by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Move and course throughout my entire being that I might become more wholly conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand up together. I hope that your day and your time here has been refreshing. For those of you online, thank you for joining us. And I just pray for all of those of you online who may experience the blessing of the Lord in your living room or wherever you're at. And for those of you who will watch this some days after, may the anointing of the Holy Spirit fill you right now. Even as you're watching, may you experience his presence. May you be healed in your body. May your heart become so, so filled with love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a super blessed day.